This is the Business Breakout Podcast. This is the brainchild of myself, Bobby, Kyle. You can look at our bios on our page, businessbreakoutpodcast.com, as well as on our Facebook page, Business Breakout Podcast. The reason we wanted to do this, and it's right there spelled out 100% out in the open, is mentoring is kind of our passion. This is our passion project. You know, bringing value to people is something we enjoy thoroughly. Like, that's the exciting part about our job. And so being able to have a format, have a platform, so to speak, that we're able to give that information, the lessons that we've learned, the tips, tricks, everything we do in our daily lives, in our daily business, and be able to give that to other people is huge for us. I mean, it means a lot. We actually do consider that, you know, an honor in a way that we've got this technology at this day and age that we can, you know, go ahead and reach out and answer your questions, help people out. And, you know, if you have a laugh or two or whatever, then that's good too as well. I mean, that's personally yeah. why I... No, I completely agree, Nick. So I started doing vlogs last year, I think. I was doing Facebook Lives, the Riddell Solution Show, holler at me. And there for a while, when we launched Network Financial, I had to kind of tailor away from that for a while because, I mean, we were busy, we were working on business. And so what I'm excited is about is to start putting content back out in the form of a podcast. I also launched a blog. We're going to have a blog on businessbreakoutpodcast.com. So check that out. We're going to be feeding all the same type of information that we're doing on the podcast on there. Maybe do some digital downloads, some more value ads. So uh, check that out. The handsome young gentleman to my left, as well as right across from Kyle, would be one Bobby Acuna. Bobby, go ahead and introduce yourself. Let them know what you got going Good on, buddy. everybody. Myself, uh, I, I enjoy mentoring uh, myself. I'm also on the sort of a path trying to kind of make my way through the business world. So I, I like to learn as I go, and I also like to help people with what I've learned so far. One thing I've, I've done is I've always been a fan of startup companies. I've always liked to kind of be the navigator of my own ship, and I feel like I, I have an opportunity to do that now. And uh, with a good core group of people around me, Nick and, and Kyle. Ladies and gentlemen, it's, sometimes it's hard for us to toot our own horn, but I'll tell you what. <laughs> Mr. Acuna here has the best damn beard wax in the world. It smells fantastic. It is true. I put it on mine, and the musk that comes along with that is uh, it's wonderful for the ladies out there. So if you've got a husband who has a stinky beard, call my man Bobby here, and yeah. he'll hook it up. Yeah. Oh. Piney Woods Beard Company, I've been a believer from day one. Uh, although I got to admit his first couple trials you know, were a little rough. You know, They were a little rough here and there as far as the Piney Woods scent. I uh, came out smelling like a car air freshener a couple of times, but he has honed them in. It is something that he loves. It's something that he takes pride in, passion in, and he's been you know honing that craft over the last few months, last year or so. And I got to tell you, this latest one, especially what was the, the tobacco? It's the, uh, the uh, Woodsman Leather. Woodsman Leather. Woodsman Leather. <laughs> <laughs> Those Many leather-bound books. <laughs> so, yes, yes, the Woodsman Leather. It, it's, you know, I, I have to laugh about the first batch. It was for uh, the Woodlands Rugby Club, yep. and they wanted to smell like a tree, and by God, they smelled exactly <laughs> like a tree. <laughs> it's piney. It's so piney in here. It was, it, was, it was too piney that I, I discontinued even making it. <laughs> So as you can see, this podcast is built on people that are entrepreneurs. Kyle's a serial entrepreneur is the best way I can describe him. Uh, people that just love, you know, we got our own businesses going with it. And that's who this is really for. It's for anybody who maybe you're an employee and you just want to learn some management skills or some marketing. Maybe you want to start up a side hustle. 
you know, something on the side to go ahead and elevate, you know, your income levels and things like that. Or maybe you want to go full board, two feet in, jump on into the 100% entrepreneurship and go ahead and do that. And that's something that we're here for. We can cover all bases. We've got that. And that's why, you know, we were so excited to put this group of you know guys together uh, is because we're all at three different levels in that entrepreneurship game. And that's something that we enjoy, we love, and man, to help anybody else that's wanting to even think about maybe stepping outside of that to yeah. go ahead and jump in is huge for us. No, I agree. I agree. So what we're going to do for the first couple of podcasts and the first live content that we do is we're going to be going through things that you need to think about when you're launching your business. All right. So when we're done with this We'll have some information on the blogs to go there, go download it. I'll introduce a couple topics. When you're going to start your first business or if you've got a side hustle that you want to start and you still got your nine to five, first off, step one, initial planning, planning of your business. Sometimes uh, we go about getting our businesses started and... We listen to a lot of people give us ideas or talk to us about taxes or how to legally set up your business. And the best thing that you need to do is you got to have a lawyer. You should talk to your accountant and create a full on business plan binder. All right. So this business plan binder, it can be digital. It doesn't really matter, but it outlines everything from your business and personal goals. You want to review all of your strengths. You want to know what your weaknesses are as a business owner. You need to start doing some market research and understand where your competitors are at. Record any and all experience related to your field of business. Okay. So I want to put that around to the team and kind of talk about that a little bit. What, uh, what was some initial planning that you did, Nick, when you went to launch uh, your consulting business? Uh, I'd say the first and foremost thing is you've got to be brutally, brutally honest with yourself. Mm. In that you do have a skill set. I mean that. I mean, if you don't have marketability with your skill set or with a product you can provide or a service you can provide, and that's where the strengths and weaknesses are crucial. Like if you don't have that intact wholeheartedly, it's going to be a rough uphill battle. I'm not saying it's impossible by any means. You can learn along the way. You know, one of the big things within the John Maxwell Group, and you've seen some posts of mine here and there, is you jump and build your wings on the way down. That sure. comes from the '90s aircraft industry, is where that comes from. But it's Huge. It's true. You sometimes you have to jump and build your wings on the way down, but it's very crucial that you know how to build wings before you jump. Right. <laughs> you know. So, so that is. <laughs> so you know that's, that's a big, you know big thing. But no, I'd say that. But as far as the planning in, you can never over plan. You can never be too detailed. However, what we see a lot with other people that we've worked with and other entrepreneurs is they get so stuck in that planning phase. They get so stuck mm-hmm. in it mm-hmm. that they never engage. They don't pull the trigger and go and actually even step their toe in the water, much less jump full bore into it. You know, I used to call that analysis paralysis. We've talked about that before on the Riddell Solution. So so the, the analysis paralysis is when you are staying so focused on getting it just right, doing enough market research, planning or or having your ducks in a row to the point where you feel perfect. Well, I'll tell you what, when uh, you jump into the business world and it's your own business, uh, nothing's going to go perfect and you have to be able to, to build those wings on the way down. I really like that. I mean, it is crucial. I mean, but after that, after that first step, once you've been honest with yourself, once you've you know done the evaluation, it is a crucial, those steps that you have to take as far as engaging a lawyer, mm. engaging a CPA. Mm-hmm. 
always surround yourself with people who know a lot more than you do. That's smart. And never go off partial information of, oh, I had a buddy tell me that, you know, when he ran his business, this, that, the other. No, man, tax codes are changing all the time. Good strategies within the laws, within the state that you're in, what licenses you need, all that. That's constantly shifting, you know, constantly shifting. So that is something that's key. Once you've once you've, you're gone with the paralysis scenario, once you're actually, you've done, been honest with yourself, you have the skill set, you're ready to engage, lawyer, accountant, far and away, the mm. two best friends you'll ever have in your life if you can get a good lawyer and a good CPA. I think that the biggest problem with a lot of people is uh, they don't want to take a risk. Mm. They want to just be able to, to flutter through life and not worry about, you know, not to fail. But the truth is you're going to fail sometimes. So take a calculated risk. I'm not saying just jump into anything possible, anything that's out there. Just do something that you know, you've, you've done the research, you know what's the possibilities and just kind of jump into it, but ease into it. That's real. You know, guys, I, w- I want to throw something out here. I think uh, as you're looking to launch your business, go through pros and cons of doing it on your own. Cost benefit go analysis. through, uh, 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 yeah, cost benefit analysis of doing things with a partner. I think there's a lot of strength to teamwork. And if you have the right team, if you got people who are going to put up the same amount of effort as you are day in, day out, that's going to help you cover more ground. I, in, in Riddell Solutions, uh, for a long time, worked to do a lot of things on my own. And I reached a saturation point, the point of diminishing returns, where I could not do everything. I couldn't onboard customers and close deals and do proposals and create websites and do SEO and social media marketing. I just, I couldn't do all that. So I started to involve contractors. I reached out to people to help. And I, I think that's really strong. And that's the whole thing about calculated risk. You know, you cost benefit analysis on that situation. Uh, Would you rather uh, waste your time doing all of it or would you do what you're good at and divvy out the other things to other people? Mm, mm. I I want to call that money on that. Yeah. So so check this out. I'm going to throw this out there. The hedgehog principle. All right. So the hedgehog principle means do one thing extremely well. Do the one thing that you can be the best in the world at. The hedgehog, when people try to attack it, right, it's not ferocious. It can't kill things. But when it curls up into the ball and it has those spines, I actually had a hedgehog in uh, college. His name was Dos Equis. Um, That's Dos Equis with two X's for extreme. Uh, we used to have parties and we'd put him in the ball and he'd run around and the girls would go in and get him out of the cage before they'd even say hi to me. But the hedgehog principle means figure out what that one thing is and do that and then bring other people on to help you do the other things that you're not so great at. You know, and that's something that I did early on with the consulting firm before I even conceived the idea of branching out on my own, branching into the waters of, you know, owning a consulting and management firm. That's where the brutal conversation. What am I not good at? Mm. Like what, you know, you got to throw hubris to the side and just go, okay, who around me? is good at this. Because I bet you somewhere in your life, somewhere you've come across, you have extremely talented people everywhere. Yeah, You have them everywhere. And, you know, I'm extremely good at this thing, the hedgehog principle, and that's great, but you can never grow a business unless you have those other facets that you can bring on board. And oftentimes those other facets are people. You You know, all the great products in the world are fantastic, but if you don't have the people with the know-how and the versatility, I mean, that's... There's a reason the Avengers <laughs> is such a popular group. Uh, it's, because, it's an interesting analogy. Because 
everybody, the reason it resonates is because everybody can identify with one character. Okay, right? yeah. I'm Wolverine. Yep. I know that's not an Avenger. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So everybody, but at the same time, you see, you know, the over underlying story of teamwork makes the dream work. It takes all that's of real. us and all of our skill sets to make this work. And that's the truth, whether it's in a movie or if it's in a business whatsoever. I mean, that has nothing to do with, you know, you know, fantasy or whatnot. It's rooted in reality that you need people around you who have skill sets you don't. Yeah. And you, you when know, you bring those crucial people in, they bring different ideas. Mm-hmm. And they can change your mind. They can help you grow as a person in general. And yep. if you don't grow as a person, your industry won't grow. You know, your, your, your company won't grow. And the industry will leave you behind. And, I mean... I believe in evolution. I don't know. Some people don't, but I think if you don't evolve, you die. Yeah. Yeah, that's real. You know, mentors, I think, play a big part in this. Now, something that's interesting about bringing more people on to your team and mentors, and these go hand in hand, you've got to ask for their help. And sometimes it's really difficult for a lot of people because we don't want to ask for help because we're afraid of being rejected. But if you ask for people's help nicely and say, please, hey, I think you are amazing at marketing and branding. I think you're amazing at business development. You're fantastic at finance. Would you help me? I'm launching a business. Nine times out of 10, those people say yes. What do y'all think about that? Oh, yeah. I completely agree. Mentors are crucial. I mean, and that's the one thing that I've had. And I've been lucky that I've had mentors placed throughout my career, throughout my journey in business. Even when I first started out, you know, you you need somebody there to guide you, even if they're not in your direct line management, even if they're not in your organization. Uh, One of the things you do is reach out, go to these networking events. You know, they're all over every city, networking events. Find somebody who's doing, you know, living life right and go Bend their ear, take them out to lunch, you know, bring, and they give, you not everybody's going to volunteer right off the bat to be your mentor. Nobody's just going to volunteer to be like, hey, kid, come here, let me teach you everything I know. You know, they're not going to do that. But if you reach out there and you start grabbing onto these people. And yeah, I think you got to show them some value. You, you got to bring, that's yeah, show them value up key above everything else. On top of everything we do, anything we tell you throughout this podcast, bring value to people. Mm-hmm. If you're not mm-hmm. bringing value, then they're going to lose interest pretty quick. Zig Ziglar said, uh, you can get anything that you want in this world if you're willing to help enough other people get what they want. And the opposite of that, people that have not done something right in life who have failed completely, you can learn a lesson from it. I, there are some people oh, that's that real. Have, have destroyed their businesses that were going correct, that were going profitable, that are going amazing. And then just, I mean talking with them, getting their story, I was able to realize, well, that's why their business fell apart. Mm. There's one crucial thing. They didn't want to adapt on this. They didn't want to do this. They didn't want to bring in certain people. They thought that their way was going to stay the same in that industry forever. And I mean, yes, it's great to have mentors that, mm-hmm. that, that, that are doing things right, but you just got to listen to the people that are doing something wrong as well. What do you guys think about SWOT analysis? Love it. Yeah. I'm a huge fan. Huge fan. For those of you who don't know what SWOT analysis is, strengths, weaknesses, uh, shoot, I'm already... Opportunities, opportunities and threats. SWAT. That's right. Uh, opportunities <laughs> and threats. So that's where you bring up a board, any issue, any topic, any situation. You got to look at what are our strengths in this situation, what are our weaknesses, what opportunities do we have within it, and what are our threats. Those are huge things as far as like going on what Bobby said. Of You've got to look at your opportunities for growth. 
you've always got to continually look for the opportunities to grow. You can't stagnate and just stay in one lane. Uh, stagnation is death in a business world, especially for an mm. entrepreneur. I mean, you got to com- constantly be evolving your game. You might not change the service or the product, but you can change the quality over time. And that's a huge thing is to actually keep evolving, keep moving. Yeah, no, I like SWOT analysis. I think SWOT analysis is strong. One of the things that I love doing too, when I have a team and I'm trying to figure out where to go with the team, I've got to figure out who my running backs are, who my quarterbacks are, and who my wide receivers are, and who my linebackers are. The way that I do that is I take the team and I put them through personality assessment tests. Mm -hmm. Now, sometimes I've used personality assessment tests that cause people to be like, why did they ask me those questions? And that kind of mentally messes with them. And so they haven't had the best results from the test. But I think if you find one like a disc test or a strength finder, something that, that works, that's digestible for everybody, I think that's really strong too. So in your initial planning phase that we talked about tonight on business, Make sure that you hit some of the stuff we talked about. Create a business plan, a planning binder, write down your business and personal goals. And here's one that I put out the other day that I want to touch on real quick. When you write down your goals, write them in present tense. I am a fantastic business owner. I'm grossing $15,000 per month. Those are the things that help hardwire in your brain that these things are already happening. It's when you continue to search or I want to have, I want this, that uh, it doesn't come out really, really well. Yep. And that's a huge thing. And one of my favorite books that, you know, top three books you need to read if you're going to be an entrepreneur or step out on your own or even just manage a business will be successful. One, first and foremost, everybody brings up is Rich Dad, Poor Dad. You know, that's, Mm. that's an easy one. That's real. That's an easy one. Number two, my number two book, and speaking on this topic is Think and Grow Rich. Oh, like, that is my number two book. Napoleon uh, Hill. Uh, Napoleon Hill killed it. This was back in the Industrial Revolution era. Mm-hmm. But those principles still hold today. And the big underlying thing is you train your subconscious in how you feel. You yeah. bring things into fruition for how you think. The things that you're constantly thinking about, the things that you're constantly putting in your mind, what you're feeding yourself are going to be the things that are in your reality. Mm. If you're constantly thinking successful, you're constantly thinking, I'm going to get this. You have a plan. You know, it's right in the first chapter of that book. First six things you got to do. One, decide what you want. Mm. You know, they say, you know, in the book, it's put down a monetary number. You know, put down a number. How much do you want to accrue? All right. Step two. All right. What are you willing to give up for? Because nothing comes for free. Yeah, that's real. Nothing comes for free. Three. And I might be putting these out of order, but I'll nail all six. Yeah, whatever. All right. So number three, how are you going to get there? Okay. Have a detailed plan. Four, write your narrative of it. You know, mm. very definite. Almost like a press release. Yep. Almost like a press I've release. I've heard that I one will recently. make yeah. X amount of money. Uh-huh. I intend on giving up this. Oh, I missed the big one. The date. Give yourself yeah. a hard date. Time stamp it. Number two or three. Give yourself no. a hard date. Like by in six months, three years, five years, 10 years. My personal one is 10 years out. Like it's a right. goal that I have 10 years out from now. In 10 years time, I will have X amount of money. I, what I'm willing to give up for this is this, 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 and this. How I'm going to get there is if I'm going to start this business and then I'm going to work it over and use that capital for this one. You print that up, you write it up. That's step five. Step six, every morning, every night, read it out loud. Mm. That's how you train your subconscious to really get involved. And the things that you talk about, the things that you talk to yourself about are the things that you're going to be about in your life. Yeah, I love that. I've got one right now. Ogmandino says, read it in the morning before you leave for work, read it in the afternoon, and then at night, read it out loud. 
And if you do that consistently, you're actually imprinting those things in your brain. So a uh, little bit of tip there. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of funny. My, my bathroom mirror, I have Sharpie written all over it on goals for this year. That's legit. And See, uh, most people go with the dry race and you're going Sharpie. That's that's dedication. Oh, I mean, dry race. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, thanks for the safe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't want my apartment complex to hear that one. <laughs> but yeah, I use I have a dry race there. I have a dry race in um, board in my kitchen as well. So it's like I wake up in the morning, I'll see that, and then I go make food, and then I'm immediately seeing it again, like yeah. it just twice. Yeah. And uh, I also have a journal that I write. It pretty much is a copy of the uh, my the dry race board and my bathroom. Yeah. So it's one of those things that you like, like Conor McGregor said, you know, if you envision it and you believe it, you'll yeah. make it happen. No, that's and, real. And it's I true. do think that a big part of it is speaking, you know, otherwise anything that you put up on your wall, I mean, how many people this house you've been to that say live, laugh, love, right? Yeah. You walk right by that, past that thing and don't even acknowledge it because it's something that's just part of the decoration. Sometimes but I think speaking people. it is a crucial point of it. Reading it and speaking it yeah. actively. Right. Purposefully, it's like the biggest part of that equation. And, 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 and I do believe in writing things down. Like, I think there's a big difference in writing goals down versus typing them. You know, everybody's in the digital age where they pull out their True. iPad or their iPhone and they want to type down these goals. You literally need to get a pen and paper or pencil and paper and you need to write these things down. There is a je ne sais quoi magic something in physically writing things. It's different than typing them. So, Oh, yeah. It means more. I mean, even if you just look on a romantic sense, you write your wife, girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever, whoever a handwritten letter versus, you know, sending an email or a text kind of mm-hmm. has a little bit more significance to it. And I don't know what it is about humanity, but handwriting it is a lot more purposeful. And so, yeah, well, I think I got relationship advice now. There you go. I mean, we <laughs> are believe that we are a catch all, you know, thir- going on 13 years in the marriage game successfully. So I think I'm good enough. I get two. I get two over here. <laughs> All right. But yeah, man, the purposely writing it down, is huge and be direct. And the thing I will say this, you're going to feel silly. You're going to feel really silly, even writing it out and especially speaking it out. You're going to feel silly. You know, you're saying this phrase that you're going to speak something into fruition, but firm believer in it. You know, the greatest titans of industry that helped shape this country believed in it. You know, Henry Ford, Carnegie. I mean, if you read Think and Grow Rich, you'll learn all about all these various different people who had this one commonality and that's that they firmly believed that everything that they thought and spoke came true for them. That's how they pushed through. One thing about writing stuff down is when you write it, you see it. That's one thing that people, you know, you can have all these arbitrary ideas. I want to start a company. I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to. But when you write it down, you get to see it. Mm. And you kind of really, you really get to to kind of figure out like this, it could be difficult. This can, this can break into some negatives and positives. And it, it kind of makes the gears run a little bit because anybody can walk around and say, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm going to start a company. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things. That- you know, uh, uh, I'll throw a little humor in here. When I was, I lived in Huntington beach for uh, three years, well, two years, Costa Mesa, one year. And it was funny out in California, everybody is either an actor or a skater or a surfer or a model. And they all live at their mom's house. So Boom. yeah, exactly what I'm talking about right there. Yeah. People, people, I mean, it's, it's, it's just, it's rampant. Everybody is going to, oh, I want to lose weight. I want to do this. I want to gain weight. I want But did you ever write it down? Did mm. you ever really think about it? Because when you write it down, I'm going to lose weight. You get to look at it and think, 
oh, this is going to be a lot harder than I think it's going to be. Yeah. 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 And that's even something that, you know, Paul Martinelli, for those of you who don't know who he is, Paul Martinelli is the president of the John Maxwell team. Like yeah. he's the he's the guy that actually does the day to day operations and a lot of the lessons and teachings in there. And Paul Martinelli gives an example where he's eating ice cream. He's sitting okay. on his couch eating ice cream. He's like, man, I got to lose weight. <laughs> right back to it you know but you know people oftentimes we tell ourselves these nice little white little lies to make us feel good about ourselves we mm. tell ourselves i'm gonna kick this off or i'm gonna change my management habits or i'm gonna change i'm gonna be a more involved leader or i'm gonna be a you know i'm gonna jump out with this entrepreneurship kick and you tell yourself these white little lies because it makes us feel good at night you sure. know when you go to bed oh man i'm really gonna do this and then you don't it's yeah there's yeah. a reason gym memberships spike in january and they drop off shortly thereafter that's real you know yeah. i think one thing that's cool that people can do is get an accountability partner an accountability partner or a mentor i think either of those can help you stay on track to reach your goals i want to leave you guys in the facebook world i'm going to end my live here i want to uh, leave you with a little tidbit that you might not have gotten anywhere else this is from Shakti Galway's. I know that's backward, but it's Shakti Galway's creative visualization. And when you're going through these affirmations, when so number one, get yourself into a meditative place, get yourself into a really calm place because creative visualization works better when your mental game is on track and you're centered. After you go through these positive affirmations and you really visualize some things. So I've got one right here. Like this is my butt card where I write down my stuff. So number one, I'm a great father. Number two, I am fit, healthy, and active, right? So once I go through these affirmations, Shakti Gawe suggests that you end your visualization with a firm statement to yourself. And here it is. This or something better now manifests for me in total satisfying and harmonious ways for the highest good of all concerned. And I'll tell you what, as I've been doing that at the end of my visualizations, it's been really different for me personally. So going into what you said about the, uh, the meditate, uh, the meditative state with that, there's actually, um, I was, I'm very big in meditation. Uh, I'm sure both y'all know that, but most people that are listening don't know this. Uh, there's some sort of science behind the fact that if you get into a meditative state, you're able to actually focus more into a, it, it just, it, it, it's a mix between creative as well as clear headed, like equilibrium mm. that's balanced between, between sleep and oddly brain waves of ADHD. It's really I interesting. Don't understand. Yeah. It's like it puts you right between ADHD and sleep and creativity. Uh, that's crazy because, you know, you we study so often, especially in my work. You know, I do a lot of, for those of you out there listening, we I do a lot of safety-sensitive, you know, oil and gas operations, industrial operations, things like that. So circadian rhythms are huge. You know, that's actually something that's been around prevalent in our trainings for, let's say, since the 2000s, in the late 90s, 2000s, especially in the oil and gas industry. And, you know, it's either on or off it's very binary you're either tired or you're not you're either active or you're not exactly. so that's kind of really interesting so, on that uh it's funny uh i heard that uh I, albert einstein he didn't meditate but he would have a this is true he had a tennis ball and would hold it uh, he would sleep on his back and hold it in his hand and when the ball fell out of his hand it would wake him up obviously and when that happened, he knew that he it was a perfect time to solve problems, yep. equations, and everything. So yeah, uh, Edgar Casey and other people that do 
astral projection, that's exactly what they do. They get themselves in a state between being awake and asleep. And for whatever that is, whatever happens, whatever that is, they're able to grab on or tap into that ether that's out there Mm -hmm. and bring in those answers or go do something that's a little bit beyond uh, the human realm of understanding. So I completely agree. I I believe in it. And even, you know, we've heard this, uh, all three of us were privy to the lunch with leaders, you know, where Steve Austin uh, spoke here in the woodlands. And one thing he said was, whatever your faith, pray, meditate, whatever, he goes, it's in those moments of meditation, that hour a day that he allows himself, that's when his next idea, that's when his next thing yep. just strikes him. I mean, how many times have we heard throughout history that, you know, inspiration, there's a defined word for something just striking your brain like a lightning bolt. Hmm. I was inspired to do this. You know, I have an inspiration. Or and spirits in there. You yeah, know, I, I really do think the it. spirit has something to do with it. Yeah, I mean, there's so many times where getting here, I think it's, you're blocking out the noise of life. Really? You, you got to get somewhere day to day, daily. You know, some people it's the gym. Don't mind the background noise. We got people moving around our office. It happens. We're not a professional studio. Uh, (laughs) It sounded like a race car, (laughs) but there's so many times that, you know, just the noise of life of, you know, kids, this bills, money, wife, husband, job, you al- once you eliminate those thoughts, once you can even just put them on hold and just kind of hone in to your own little zone. I mean, that's where you know ideas and genius strike. You know, it, I don't genius is unnatural, like it hits. Yeah, right. I think sure. hard work, talent, things like that can be honed and developed. But true inspiration, true genius, true, you know, just ideas. You've got to cut out the clutter at some point. Peter Thiel wrote zero to one. And in that book, he really talks about the future of America is going to depend on the citizens and people in the workplace being able to go back to that entrepreneurial state that we were in, you know, let's just call it 1900s all the way up until the 60s, where we're solving problems, we're creating things, we are uniquely analyzing business opportunities. And he was talking about how there is a magic imbued within that creation phase that unless if unless we stop being uh, the hamsters on the wheel Mm -hmm. in the corporate world and continuing to uh, help the corporate powers that be industrial military complex, whatever you want to call it, move forward and gain more money and add all of that into their super PACs where they can control the legislation. Unless we get off of that and start doing this entrepreneurial push, which is going on right now that we all see. I mean, we're part of it. We will not survive. Our economy won't survive because there are true monopolies taking place that are not being busted anymore. Oh, yes. Yeah. And that's 100%. I mean, if you look, I can't remember. Oh, it bugs me that I cannot remember who gave me this quote uh, as far as the actual author of it. But is one of my best friends, Chris Taylor, back home in Arkansas. We were just having a conversation one day about you know, how come we see Elon Musk, right? And then you mm. see like Jeff Bezos, Steve Jobs to a degree. Hey, and but, Bezos was at the freaking Oscars this year in Golden Gloves. I mean, that dude make a huge move. No, but the thing is with those guys, they're few and far between. An Albert Einstein, a Tesla, they're few and far between. Why? Because of groupthink. Entrepreneurs are, okay, people yeah. that are working on their own are more likely to, if, if Albert Einstein walked in a room with a bunch of other scientists and before he actually crafted the idea of relativity equals MC squared. They'd be like, 
What? Well, yeah, he and lost his job. Down. He they would shoot down that idea immediately. Who fucking fires Einstein? <laughs> right? But that's what happened. It did. You know, and and, and, yeah. and you see coaches all the time underperform with great players. Yes. Which is interesting, right? So it's like uh, I think Brett Favre had a losing season under Holmgren. I don't know. It doesn't matter. But uh, you know, there is there is something there where people get blocked. And I think, you know, for me personally, I, I felt create creatively and upward mobility wise, I was getting blocked where mm-hmm. I was at within my corporate job. Think, you know, I think everybody does. Like yeah. Anybody that branches out on their own at some point you hit that invisible ceiling, right? Whether it's that, you know, management isn't recognizing the talent or the system itself, because, you know, I've had experiences with massive corporations where you feel boxed in by the system. Mm-hmm. Even though you might have a boss or a manager, whoever that believes in you and honestly sees your talent, that next step because you're Odd not fitting there. this perfect yeah. mold of. Well, I'd love to stay on this for a while. Yeah, because, you know, I think there's something being missed today mm-hmm. in corporate America because w- regardless of what organization I was involved with, I was seeing the tip top talent. Mm-hmm. That 10% that brings you in 90% of your sales, yep. the ops managers that drive the uh, discretionary effort of 90% of your employees, they're leaving. Yes. You're spending quarter of a million dollars training these people when you add everything in, you know, and they're leaving after two years. And here's what's interesting. I had conversations directly with HR, high up managers, uh, uh, VPs of HR, presidents of HR, and that's built into the model. Which is interesting to me, that churn and burn uh, from mid-level management in particular, not for executive pay, but mid-level management. So if you are in mid-level management out there, uh, (laughs) just know that they don't give a shit about you. No, it's true. I watched it time and time again, you know, and most recently when I made my jump from the organization I was with prior, three of the top people, top rated in operational management, as far as actually boots on the ground out making things happen. Three of the top-rated people over a period of years all left within a month. So, what do you think? Do you think? Do you think organizations need to identify those people faster and stay true to that and do something about it? I I think the biggest issue right now with society is, especially in the Western world, and it's going to get a little philosophical, is the fact that there's there's lack of mindfulness in Hmm. corporations. People don't see other people as people. We see uh, that's just a uh, resource as uh, just uh, just as resources as any product or Hmm. any any raw natural resource that we need to use to make a product. Uh, nobody looks at people as, Hey, you know, these are people. And the problem we were talking about groupthink is shutting down. Like, you know, with Einstein, I was about to say the reason for that is simple insecurity. Yep. Human insecurity, mm. especially in the Western world. See, if you go to like Asia and stuff like that, if you go to Asia and stuff like that, people, you know, monks would have these ideas, crazy ideas, you know, and people wouldn't, would just, you know, oh, well, you know, try it out, see what happens. Mm-hmm. And if you try to do that in the U.S., how many people are going to hate on you? So every that, single yeah. person is going to rag on you and exactly. carry pieces. I would say, like you're talking about with that essence of fear, right? I think anytime you're holding anybody back, whether it's personal relationship, business, whatever, there's an element of fear and it's tribalism. You know, the one thing I experienced was people look to promote people who have the same background or went to the same school. Uh, And so that's my biggest rub. And the one thing I tell companies that when I go to work with them, we're starting to talk about hiring processes, Mm. right? And this is my main man, Simon Sinek, huge fan of his guys. If you haven't checked him out, Simon Sinek, start with why brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Uh, 
his is that people have credentials. Like, and that's even once they're in the in the building. Once you have these mid level managers that are performing for you, their next step is based on a credential, mm, not yeah. ability, not a capability, not what they can bring to the table, not what they can do for you. And a lot of them are better suited for that next role than the role they're even mm-hmm, in. Mm-hmm. And if they're a rock star here, and they won't get that next chance because, well, man, you know, we really wanted you to have an MBA. Mm-hmm. We really, exactly. we really wanted to lean Sigma black belt, which is great. Those are not. I'm not knocking. Any By the way, I'm a black belt, motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> and also, just to let everybody know, if you haven't right. picked up yet, Bobby is our resident practicing Buddhist. So, hey, yeah. actually, I've been. Uh, <laughs> what's funny is uh, I actually. Straight away from Buddhism, I, I saw a very good philosophical what? idea, but then, then I started studying Hinduism more. See, podcast, uh, they're bringing fit, friends closer together. I'm learning something about because uh, myself, it was it was, just, it was personally for me the idea of no higher power in Buddhism kind of made me think, uh, what am I doing here? Not to get on the rent, the, but, the yeah. well, whatever. That's awesome, man. I'm but uh, I'm, I'm doing a bad job at it because, uh, Started doing CrossFit and started eating red meat again. So, <laughs> sorry, guys. <laughs> but, but no, uh, no, I fully believe. I, I think the uh, spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak yeah. in all religions. Yeah. So, <laughs> circling back to what we were talking about before I dropped my phone and we got off on our tangent. That happens. Uh, yeah. I mean, the, people want credentials. They want you to have something like that. Why? Because mm. I went to this university or yeah. I went to, as the hiring manager, I have an MBA. Or, you know, I have this particular certification and it's not and that's great. So what I was going to say with Simon Sinek and other people is when you're promoting somebody, when you're hiring somebody, especially look for the type of person you want, not the necessarily, you know, this first and foremost, look for the type of person you want. Maybe you'll get somebody in there that'll elevate your culture, Mm -hmm. right? Much less fit in. Maybe they elevate, make it even better to be around. Number two, then you look at abilities. What are the baseline abilities you need for that particular job? You're going to have to do some on-the-job training. And that's funny. These companies, they're willing to invest in bringing in new people because they're losing their top-tier talent. Mm -hmm. But they're not willing to invest in training people who are a better fit personality-wise. <laughs> well, and, and not only that, I mean, the experience. <laughs> yeah, well, well, think about bringing somebody in brand new out of college. Yes, you can bring them in at probably, I don't know, right now, 55K, right, with a good degree from a good college. And that might be cheaper. I'm about to say Twitter probably will tell you that it's far less that they're giving offered. Really? <laughs> so, so, so maybe yeah, like 42,000 right now? I mean, you're looking in the, yeah, the 40 range. Like, with, with a bachelor's degree? With a bachelor's degree. 40, 40. Actually, I know a lot of people are 35,000. 35K? Yeah. Okay. On average. You know, and, and, and if you bring somebody in at 35K, right? Mm-hmm. You're going to have to train them. And let's face it, ladies and gentlemen, if you have a business that has any complexity into it, it will take them 12 months, even with the best training program to actually understand what's going on. And I contend it is two years before you really start seeing value add production out of a new hire. I've seen it in a short term. Sure, they do a green belt project and save $36,000, but to put them through the green belt training for them to save that $36,000, it probably cost you 120 in my opinion. So ROI is lopsided. You've got a saturated market with everybody having a bachelor's degree and not differentiated. Mm-hmm. I think the ultimate 
differentiating factor for any business out there right now is to identify, be able to figure out who the hell your MVPs are, yep. who that top 10% is. And, you know, there's, there's personality assessments. I feel like uh, there are certain people within your business that have a really good eye. I like to contend that I have a very good hiring eye. And when you allow those people to have the autonomy to maybe be the VP of talent management. And it can't be an HR person, in my opinion, because HR is so detached from the business these days. They don't know what the hell's going on. All right, this is my personal opinion. Every HR person I've ever come in contact is fucking weird. <laughs> <laughs> that's, just, that's just my personal. It's just the few companies really I've worked with. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to put you through onboarding. Here's a piece of paper. You We're going to piss off all the HR people. Hey, good thing. I'm not worried about that. Yeah. <laughs> Here's the paper. You sign it. I am my own HR department right now. So. Well, but it, no, it is, I mean, it's just my personal. But yeah, they, they are detached. You, they are looking. That's where they've system, never done the work. No. And that's where the systems, people rely so much on a system or a process. Oh, well, this is our system. This is how we've been able to grow. And yeah, it might've been successful in the past, but here's the problem. You are coming upon a different class of worker. You're bringing yeah. that right now. Guess who is flooding your workplace now? Millennials. millennials. And it's smart as shit. And guess who has money? Millennials. And millennials do, yeah. And guess the reason you see all these things, you know, social media, regular media, you know, big journalism. The reason you see all these articles about these kids, and I say kids, we're all millennials, by the way. You know, yes. all of us are millennials. We're on the yeah, I'm right, you know, I'm right on the edge I'm on, of that. I'm new, on the edge of it. I'm, I'm 84. Right yeah, I'm, right. same, same here. Yeah. So Kyle and I both on the early end of it. But those kids, one, they were raised, and people talk about participation trophies and blah, 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 blah. But no, they were raised with a sense of value in themselves. Mm, that's that, interesting. That they have us, they were told from day one that they are worth something. The positivity movement in America coming through with self-esteem and, you know, making sure that the anti-bullying campaigns, things like that, to make sure that we have a culture of people who actually value who they are mm -hmm. is working. Yeah. I've got a thing that I call the Nintendo generation. Mm -hmm. The Nintendo generation, they didn't read the instructions. They put the game in and they figured it out. Why do you think they're able to assimilate so quickly into new technology? Yes. God, and we yeah. know for a fact that being able to go from zero to 100 on a new piece of technology and actually use it in a business yep. is more impactful than the people that, that have those tools and they just leave them in their tool belts. Mm -hmm. And there are certain age demographics that do that. And then you have to spend money to help them assimilate into that new. There's just ways that I think we can specialize our focus in business and back to that 10% that we need to identify. The way to keep them around is to let them know that they're an MVP. Let them know that you appreciate them. Let them have some autonomy to work on projects that really tie close to their heart. Mm -hmm. A company that is doing that is Vans. Yes. So Vans has a fund, like an organization, where you can come in and do like a, like a Shark Tank kind of pitch thing. I don't actually know. I, I believe they present it, but I know they put the business case together. And if you get approved, they will fund your side gig. That's a company who wants to retain that top 10% because they see value in it. That's crucial. That is, that is so crucial. That's amazing. And, I, it's, I, and it's something that, you know, companies so often, you know, you've done it. You walk into a large corporation or even mom and pops nowadays do this. You sign off on that IP. Mm -hmm. You know, if I create something here, they want it. 
Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. at no point are they VCing any of their own people. No, no, that's they're true. not VCing their own people whatsoever. But they're more than willing to take your ideas and run them with it for themselves. And, and you, you don't think somebody who's actually intelligent knows that and isn't going <laughs> to bring it to the forefront until they leave your ass? Oh like, yeah, come on. Or yeah, they're gonna wait a minute. Wait till that contract. Wait till that non compete goes wait away. Wait till that non compete goes away. Mine was up last summer. Yep, and then they launch. Yeah, and then they launch. I still got a few months on them. <laughs> this all goes back to the whole adapt or die mentality. Mm. It, it really, I mean, you see an older generation that owns the corporations. Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. And the problem with them is they don't want to adapt mm. because they've lived there and they've that's their domain. They they believe, you know, and you have a flood of people that are millennials with a different mentality coming in, mm-hmm. regardless if you believe in it or not, it's a different mentality. And the funny part is the people that are in their domain are now like, anim- like, like all animals are territorial. Yeah. We're, we're all animals. And, and you start thinking, you start hating on these ideas, all these things that they do because of the fact that, you know, they see a danger. Mm. They're going to lose something. They're going to lose or standing in that whole hierarchy of, corporations mm. yeah and please excuse the background noise once again we are not in a professional studio we are in a working office and it sounds like there is a semi pulling into the office i don't know but anyways to bobby's point <laughs> what a lot of corporations do when they do have to restructure what they'll do is they bring in people like me they bring in consulting firms they bring us in and traditional mindset you bring in i don't want to say people's names because i don't feel like getting sued uh you bring in a big boy. Mm-hmm. Consulting firm's been around for 30, 40, 50, 60 years. Mm-hmm. First thing they're going to do, they're going to ask for your org chart. Mm-hmm. And they're going to figure out whose job we can combine and whose job we can get sure. rid of. Yeah. And so that's where you start slicing the pie. And then, oh, here's the next gen people. Instead of just cutting those top, you know, high salaries or the bottom, you know, quote unquote, non-performers, here's the innovative consulting firm. We're going to slice the cake vertically instead of horizontally because <laughs> instead of cutting it horizontally and okay here's all the people that are near retirement big salaries you know pension fund is they're just getting exponential growth on that let's get rid of them mm-hmm. now you get the genius idea let's cut it vertically and that way we have still have a cross-section of talent right sure but they didn't look at their performers okay what they did is they just sliced it vertically and so now just on a bell curve of age you sliced it vertically but now you have very few experienced people. Sure. Yeah. And you've got a whole lot of the mid-level to lower level. So your baller experience, those people that know how to do it, the old guys that do know, or ladies that do know the business and how to do it and can mentor, you just lost mentorship. Sure. Sure. Right. So right. one, I just devalued my millennial that I just hired in because he just saw me lay people off because mm-hmm. that's what consulting firms, most of them do when they come in to help out. Two, now, I don't even have a role model to look up to. And that was one of the things I actually was talking to a lot of our younger staff members at my last position. And the one thing that they all said is there's no clear, there's nobody to look up to. Like, I don't have anybody I can look to and go, I want to be that guy. If in your organization, I'm going to ask everybody out there right now. If you're in your organization right now, there's not somebody, or if it's not you, that everybody else looks at your life and looks where you're at and doesn't go, man, I want that. <laughs> you've got a lot of rethinking to do. You, you mean you're going to have a hard time tapping into like intrinsic motivation yes. because nobody yes. sees a path that's worth a damn? Yeah. Or, okay. You know, because I, I look at, you know, so for me, my next step, prior job, LinkedIn, you'll figure it out if you go and look at my profile. <laughs> you look at my Sensor. prior job, the next step for me was not attractive. 
Oh, sure. Yeah. It was not attractive. Right, right. It was nothing that I wanted to do. Nothing that I wanted any part of because the work-life balance is non-existent. That's huge, for, especially for millennials, Mm. especially for our generation. The best piece of advice I ever got was from my cousin. It was figure out how the lifestyle you want to live. Figure out how much money that's going to take. Okay, get there. Mm. Now figure out how to do that with as much time off as possible. Right. No, yeah. Exactly. And that is huge. And guess what? Now you have a generation of people who are traveling the world, Mm -hmm. who have Mm -hmm. other interests. Mm -hmm. You know, I read somewhere it said something to the effect of, 60% 60% of Americans have never lived outside of their home state. That's interesting. 40% have never lived outside of their hometown. So check this out. I love mentoring, right? We were talking yeah. about mentoring at the front, and uh, I'm going to toot my own horn a little bit. I have mentored personally mm-hmm. uh, about 25 people, give or take. I don't know. I stopped counting at some point. Yep. My job was to mentor like hypos at McKesson. Yep. But then what I also started to do was I would look for people. Hypo is high potential employee for those yep, of you. Yep, yep, hypo, high potential. Speak. Uh, I would look for people who might be blacklisted yep. or um, the politics in the business mm-hmm. said this person is never going to amount to anything, right? That's I would right. find those people who were a Darth Vader, mm-hmm. right? So they're out there in the warehouse or in the business place and they're pulling credibility away from the organization because they're a natural leader. Yep. But the majority of people, because of the politics, didn't want to go and reach out and develop that person. Nope. So I would pull that person in and I would put them through the exact same training that I was giving the hypos. And guess what they did? Flew. They got better. Right. That's right. my point. Yep. I do not believe that anybody goes to work every single day to suck. Right. People right. want to be good. But the problem is, is that we don't tap into their motivational factors. We have no idea Mm -hmm. that this person just wants to make a little bit more money because he has a side gig as a trumpet player and he's got three kids. He just doesn't understand what he needs to do to get to that point. Mm -hmm. So then I, I, one of, one of the things that I cover with people is stop thinking like an employee and start thinking like a consultant because a consultant gets an annual salary or an annual comp piece of compensation or a monthly piece of compensation, whatever the contract reads, and their job is to deliver ROI. Mm-hmm. So what I talk to the people that I coach about is start tracking what your ROI is. And if you can't track it, like if you can't financially say, I'm making this difference in the business, oh yes, then you're not making that difference in the business because right. what are we here to do? Make a profit, yeah, right? right? Business right. is about money. So unless you're tracking that, and not only tracking that, but having meetings with your manager about what you're bringing to the bottom line, then you're missing what you should be doing to differentiate yourself. But when you do that and you track it and you deliver financial results and you go to your boss at annual review time and you say, currently you're paying me all in 62000 I'm not, I'm not talking about gross. I'm talking about with health benefits, right? Remember, I'm, talk, I'm talking about time that they've invested in your training. You need to quantify that. And you say, Here, here's what you totally spent on me this year. And I delivered this to the bottom line. So for every dollar you paid me, I delivered $3.26 back to the bottom line. If you have somebody else in this organization that is doing that, by all means, I think you should uh, give them a promotion. Yep. But if you don't, I'm your dude. And don't wait on an HR system or a formalized system to do this. Create your own system. Right. Create yep. your own. And set set these meetings and, that we're and, talking and about. And let me tell you this. You know, people often don't do these types of things for fear of looking like the ass kisser, right? Mm. Nobody mm-hmm. wants to relate to the boss. Thing is, man, being in supervisory management positions, very few people kiss my ass. 
In hmm. fact, most people hated me. <laughs> if you're okay. if you are a demanding and hard pushing and results driven person like I am, you, oftentimes you're going to rub somebody the wrong way, and sure. more often than not. So the people that were coming to me and talking to me were actually the people that I had the most personal one on one issues with, huh? And they were trying to figure out what I wanted exactly, why I wanted it that way, what was what was the overall goal. They were trying to figure things out. They weren't kissing my ass. Mm. They were trying to figure out how to do their job better and how to deliver better and how to understand me. So don't be scared of going to your boss so that he can understand you and you can understand him yep. and they understand for fear of what is everybody else going to think? Because at the end of the day, if layoffs come, the rest of those people don't give a shit about you. That's real. And you know, yeah. that, that you make your own luck in a certain degree. I agree with that. Yeah. You when make your own. It's like per, I tell people all the time when they, I would get my mentees or my formalized, you know, this guy, we need you to train him. Da, da, da. I'm like, man, I, here's the deal. Operate like Project Mayhem. You decide your own involvement. Oh. It is your career. Decide your own involvement. Yeah, yeah, that's real. If noted by both you guys is you guys are both innovative supervisors. Mm-hmm. That's the difference. Is I was talking about you know a lack of mindfulness in the workplace. Mm-hmm. A lot of people with that old world mentality and, and work, they don't really want to take initiative. They they, they wanted they wanted to project out that you're the one that's messing up. I am above you. So therefore you should just do the work because I'm above you. Yep. Yeah. But you guys, because of a newer mentality, a newer millennial mentality, it's, you know, let's talk to them on their level. Why are they doing bad? Why do they suck? When, when, and it's funny cause I've had so many old, old style bosses, especially in a city like Corpus, which is a very old town, very stagnant town. They just look at you and expect you to respect them mm-hmm. because Literally, I had one guy be like, I'm your boss. Yep. It's like, okay, so you treat everybody like shit. <laughs> so and- I'll, I always say, if you see that, if you, anybody has watched Game of Thrones, amazing show, but there's a scene where Joffrey, the little, no, it's not a spoiler, this is like season one shit, so don't get upset with me. So there's a scene where Joffrey's the king. He's a kid, pain in the ass. His grandfather is the hand of the king. Grandfather is basically running the kingdom for him. And the grandfather talks back to him and he says, I am the king. And his grandfather goes, Anybody who has to tell you that they're the king really isn't. There's no king at all. I, you know, I'm no fucked up the line. Sorry, Game of Thrones fans, but no, that's a good point. I got the gist of it. So anybody that has to tell you I'm the boss, I'm this, I'm that, you're probably not. You know yeah. what I mean? And yeah, the biggest thing that I can teach anybody, any supervisor, any manager, or any employee, even when you walk into a situation, when you walk into a discussion, before you walk in there, think: What if I'm completely fucking wrong about everything I've ever thought about this? What would that look like? And analyze it. You know, Winston Churchill was such a great order because before he would go into a conversation with somebody, he knew they were on the list, you know, on the schedule. He would envision every direction that that conversation would go, especially where he was fucking wrong. That's why he was so quick. That's why he was so, everybody talks about how quick-witted he was, how amazing he was, because he pre-gamed. He thought ahead of time, what if I'm wrong? Hmm. And he would see what that conversation would look like, and he would guide it back. I think uh, ultimately within an organization, we have to be willing to have the mirror put up in front of ourselves and be honest with ourselves enough to say, what part are we playing in our shortcomings? What part are we playing in missing our sales goals? What part are we playing in our EOS survey? Um, Instead of going to blame others, seeking to understand, I had a conversation one time with the boss and he went up and he was given a presentation and he came to me and he said, nobody even had the respect 
to pay attention to what I was saying. And I looked at him and I said, when I'm in a situation like that, I'm not saying nobody had the respect to pay attention to me. I wasn't entertaining enough mm-hmm. to right, right. deserve their attention. So I look first at myself and what part I played in that before I start blaming my employees. Yep. Right. Yeah. Anytime you start blaming, you know, obviously accountability comes in and there's mm-hmm. you know all sorts of stuff about between, oh, this is what accountability is and this is what blaming is. No, every now and then somebody did it. It's their fault and they need to get the blame for it. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So, but as supervisors, especially as supervisors or managers, or, you know, if you're going to be a business owner, you're going to have to, you know, even if it's just you, you know, say you're a freelancer, you're on your own business, just you, you still have a customer. Somebody's a stakeholder along the way. Mm-hmm. You cannot go to them and automatically assume that you're right because it makes you feel good to be right. Mm. You know, nobody, nothing feels better than being right. Proving people are, it feels great. I'm, I'm addicted to it. Mm. Like, I love being right. That's why before I open my mouth in most situations, I try to make damn sure I'm not wrong. You know, it's interesting that piece, uh, Benjamin Franklin, Abraham Lincoln, I know both of them in the beginning of their career, they were known to write letters or articles pinned under a ghost name Mm -hmm. about people that they were having disagreements with, Mm -hmm. possibly like people that they were going up against or somebody who did them wrong in a business situation. And later in their life, they understood that they didn't need to do that anymore, that there's no reason to break people down because we will always justify our actions for ourselves. We will reason it out. We, we, we make decisions off of emotion, and then we reason them for ourselves off of logic. And so uh, after that emotional reaction that we cause by tearing somebody down, they will reason for themselves why it was okay. Mm-hmm. And that fact then leads us to discern that maybe we shouldn't cast the stone at all and focus on the splinter in our eye or the plank in our eye rather than the splinter in our neighbor's eye because it's better for everyone. I think we've covered all three of the major religions tonight. I know. Isn't that interesting? That's that's really interesting. That is is true. Hey, I'll, I'll, I'll throw this out there. Why don't we break down if you're out there and you've got a business and you're trying to get exposure? Yep. I suggest doing Facebook lives on a consistent basis, maybe uh, one or two a week if you can. If you can do vlogs every day, do it. YouTube, podcast. So we're on a podcast right now, inaugural edition or whatever you want to call it. Why don't you tell them what we did, how we got this set up and what we're recording on? Okay. So what we did is basically, man, it a lot of people will tell you that you need a Mac. You need a Mac. You need a Mac. You need a Mac. I am a PC guy. I'm stubborn in my ways with that. Uh, my wife loves Macs. She's used them through college. You know, she's a marketing communications you know degree. That's what she loves, being able to produce things off of it. I've always been PC. So the one thing I did, man, is there's a lot of great independent software out there. You don't necessarily need the fanciest thing. I downloaded this program that we're recording on right now called Audacity free nice i bought my microphones and stuff like that at best buy i did actually buy quality microphones they are all three usb microphones i was told that you cannot run multiple usb microphones on pc but luckily i found something called virtual audio cable i'm sure most people out there in the tech world recording world know exactly what i'm talking about and they think i'm an idiot because it's impressive to me but that's fine that's not my world (laughs) mine is management leadership i was able to download it just follow the instructions. There's a lot of YouTube videos out there. People are helpful all over the internet, guys. You'll find all the help you can get uh, all over the place for things like this. So three, uh, they're called the Blue Yeti microphones. 
my laptop, which is just a regular old HP, uh, you know, this year's edition, you know, they come up with different ones every year. So got all the USBs hooked into a quad jump drive type deal. I don't even know the technical term for it, but it takes four USB ports. Uh, they're all the super, the SS USB. You know, you'll see the nice little markings that make them a little bit faster. Uh, they got the little blue lip on the inside of it for easy identification. But that's it, man. I downloaded this Audacity software. I downloaded the software for virtual audio cable. I was able to loop my microphones into something, you know, into the virtual cables. It is a software that acts like an actual input cable. And it's just three mics with USB ports hooked into my computer through one line and uh, some free recording software to go to boot. And the platform we're using to actually upload is Anchor. Anchor software, Anchor is the podcasting app. Recommended by Gary V, you know, the standard bearer for entrepreneurial mindsets and things like that of the modern age. Definitely not the OG when it comes to entrepreneurship, but he is the newly elected and duly elected and well-deserving standard bearer of the entrepreneurial spirit. So I uh, heard about it through him, looked into it, launched onto it, and that's uh, the platform we're using here. So, Oh, and Sony headphones also from Best Buy. I have to laugh about one thing. What's up? You were talking about the Mac. I feel like just like Mac brainwashing has gone through the roof. It's Here's like, the reason. I know. I want a Mac, and I don't know why I want a Mac. You, you're getting to my favorite topic ever. Because I already <laughs> I, I about want a Mac. Oh, you see how This is also mine. <laughs> yeah. Branding. Okay, it's not even branding. It, so Simon Sinek talks about this, right? And this is where the diffusion of innovation principle, they knew damn well that I was going to launch into this as soon as they said something about Apple computers because it is who Simon Sinek uses and it's who uh, it's a reference point he uses as well. But I'll go ahead and condense it. Watch his YouTube video on his TED Talk. He does a much better job than I want to do. But basically, it's that they started with why. So when Dell computers came out, they said they knew how they did. They knew what they did and they knew how they did it. We sell great computers. How we do that is we get designers and engineers in a room. We get great computers. You want to buy a computer? Mm, eh, maybe, maybe not. Apple was the one company that came out, and they didn't start with what. They didn't start with how. They started with why. Apple came out and said, we're going to fundamentally challenge the status quo. We're going to change the world. How we're going to do that? We're going to get some engineers and designers together. What we do? Well, we also sell great computers. Would you like to buy a computer? See, now you're part of a movement. And he goes in to talk about how starting with why ties into the limbic system of your brain. Uh, it's not psychology, you know, so much as it is just natural human biology. The reason Apple is who they are, are they better fundamentally performance wise? Are they better fundamentally in how it aesthetically, how it looks? They were for a little bit, but they yeah, have the same a- point. They have the same access to the same marketing companies they have the same access to the same talent pool they have the same access to the same funding the VC, you know the investors right, they have all right. the same access as everybody else but the thing that made them different is they told people and they got them to believe in why they were doing what they were doing and then those people were part of a movement not part of buying a company and that's true branding if you can get people to buy into your why why you do what you do then you've tapped into the biology of the human brain into the limbic system. So, so you're you're, you you're saying that because they were having part of a movement, yep. they had a competitive advantage internally and with their brand externally. Dude, they had a competitive advantage with the talent they hired. They have a competitive advantage with their customer base. You know, I'll go all goes into the diffusion of innovation uh, law or principle, whatever you want to call it, and that's basically that at any given moment, 
you're on a bell curve of you're either the two percent that's on the front end that are innovating you're the, you know three to fifteen percent in the middle that are early adopters that's the kids that stood in line for the first iphone and then you got the rest of us kind of in the middle you know we started buying iphones here and there once the price came down and then at the tail end you get your people that are your laggards that who simon will tell you that oh they would own a rotary phone if they were allowed to you know right right they just don't want to adapt right and so at any time you have to look at that bell curve and see where your customer base, customer base thinks you're at, where your hiring base thinks you're at on there, and where you're truly at. And as long as you're on the upward end of that bell curve, your branding is easy because you have tapped into why you do what you do, and you've communicated that well with your customer base and your hiring base. And now you're going to get loyal customers. You're going to get loyal employees. You're going to get the top-tier talent. You're going to have the pick of the litter and customers and employees. And that's why Apple computers who, you know, does an iPhone work better worse than Samsung that, you know, iPhones and Samsung's are pretty much the whole Chevy Ford debate to me. Like it's, yeah, uh, yeah. it's personal really, preference. Now that I really think about it, there's no, there's, they have the same capabilities. <laughs> they have the same capabilities. I like iPhone. It works better. <laughs> I recently switched. I recently switched to Droid. You want to know why? Because the iPhone was a thousand dollars, and nope. <laughs> now that you you just crushed my whole soul on iPhones. Like why? Because why do I have thing. Like I I really because you know. really believe that because Steve Jobs changed the world in a turtleneck and jeans because he had a great idea that he's going to fundamentally change the world, and they have. I do like how it shares my documents across all of my Apple devices. Seamlessly. Okay. I yep. love that. Yep. I do also enjoy some of the features that come with the iPhone, mm-hmm. like iMovie. This, I like how some of the apps work with it a little oh, bit yeah, better. This whole podcast would be a lot easier set up if I had a Mac with GarageBand. That Real. would have been a little click, click, boom, 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 go. Okay. But hmm. I had to put forth a lot of effort and research into looking for the proper softwares to make this happen on sure. a PC. They are easy for publishing and create. They're made for creators. Okay. I can see you that. Know what? Who doesn't want to feel like a creator? I like to create daily. Yeah, I think it's kind of funny because uh, Steve Jobs ad- adopted that whole mindfulness thing. He, he actually left Apple to go and uh, he didn't leave voluntarily. Well, <laughs> it's well documented. the first time, the okay, first right. time, it's well documented. He got, he got well, first. and after that, he he uh, he went off to uh, I think it was uh, Tibet and mm-hmm. lived with Buddhist monks. Oh yeah, and, and he, then he became more mindful from that, and he just started to treat his employees the way. He developed a mindful mindset. Oh, yeah. He was still notorious hard ass. Mm. Notorious hard ass. Like every biopic I've ever seen about him, every book you ever read about him. And here's the thing, man. Greatness is uncompromising. Hmm. Vince Lombardi straight up. Yep. Greatness is uncompromising, right? So at some point. Oh, no, no, no. I I just meant Vince Lombardi's kind of like take where he's like, you know. Yeah. Greatness is uncompromising. It doesn't waver because it doesn't have to. Right. That's real. And so Steve Jobs, you know, and that's where a lot of people, you may be great, you out there listening, you have greatness in you, somewhere in you, in some aspect of your life. Make sure you're implementing it in the right ways. Hmm. Like, make sure you're putting it out. Because I was guilty of this, dude. I had a rough go when I first started in my career. I had to get smacked in the mouth a couple of times, you know, lost a job at one point Mm -hmm. because of my hubris. Hmm. Because I thought I was you know, I hate the Dallas Cowboys, New York Giants fan all day, but Jerry Jones has a philosophy. No one player yeah. is bigger than the star. Okay. Right. And that's true, especially if you're working for somebody. If you're working in a company, you have to realize that you are not bigger than that star. 
Oh, that's real. And, right. and they'll, they'll, they'll move on. And, and yeah. you can asshole your way out of a job. Yeah, it's true. You know, but greatness is uncompromising. And even somebody as great as Steve Jobs was and as visionary as he was, didn't have hardly a technical bone in his body, you mm-hmm. know, compared to Wozniak and the others. Mm-hmm. But yeah. he had a vision and he would not waver from it. That's what got him fired in the first place mm. was he would not let go of his vision. That's kind of that's kind of the hedgehog principle a little yep. bit, right? Like he really decided that that was the one thing and he just was going to go after it. Yep. 100%. I also know another reason why he was so creative, but I'll I'll say that for another time. Drop an acid. Yeah. <laughs> you got to watch out for that. Hey, hey. Here's the deal. The Beatles went to India, and uh, we see how well they did. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you a little story about Apple. When I was in third grade, I had a reading competition where wh- whoever read – you had to read a certain amount of books, and you got entries into a statewide drawing. Remember uh, Blue Bonnet and Caldecott books and those? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I got entered into the competition and I won for the whole state of Texas in third grade. I got a Apple Macintosh classic. I got a whole year of prodigy, which was the first internet. And Walter Payton was supposed to come and do a meet and greet and uh, give me a signature. Walter Payton didn't show up. I got the rest of it though. Asshole. I know, you know, I like, I was scarred my whole life from Great. third grade. He passed away a couple of years later, you know He's what I'm saying? Sport. So, <laughs> yeah, I was like, I don't know what he was doing, but uh, Jail Hill Elementary, Walter Payton didn't show up. I was sad. Oh, man, that's happened. You know, I blame a lot of my size and my ability to read. I credit my ability to read with uh, the Book It program. Greatest yeah. program ever, man. You read five books, you get to go to Pizza Hut, my man. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> for those of you that are listening. I went to Pizza Hut. I'm, I'm, about, a six, <laughs> I, I'm about a six foot six, 300 pound man running around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's about what I feel. I probably feel like 240. <laughs> and uh, I'm very well read and very well fed thanks to the book. That's program. real. Well, yeah. For me, for I, I, there was a, a program like that for pizza and stuff like that. But for me, it was such a weird I, this is going to sound funny, but I grew up wanting to, I think it may be because I was raised by my grandparents, grew up so wanting to be an adult hmm. for so long. And then it was just weird that by the time I turned into an adult and I saw everybody around me and I saw companies acting idiotic, I was like, I I spent so much time trying to be older than I am to be hmm. the sea of idiots. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like I felt like. I was just like, great. I swam all the way over here for, for God, this, <laughs> what yeah, is going right, on? <laughs> right. Well, and I, I think too, you know, psychologically, because you were raised by your grandparents, I mean, that, that had to play a part in it. You right, know, you, right. you, you wanted to be and stand on your own mm-hmm. two feet. So I, I totally get that. And that's interesting that once we do grow up, I think everybody does go through that where it's like, we really, or the majority of people don't know what the hell is going on. <laughs> like, like either within business or they, they just show up because uh, they want to get that hourly pay, but they really aren't paying attention. So they're, they're not bringing discretionary effort. So you've got the, you know, that quadrant of actively engaged, passively engaged, passively disengaged and actively disengaged. Right. Yep. And you know, those people that are below that line, um, I think we have to try as leaders, if you consider yourself to be a leader, to identify those and move them along the quadrant uh, to get better. But uh, is it is it part of just human psychology, right? Or right. or is it a sociological thing that happens, kind of like the high school? You you hear this a lot in organizations, like it's just like high school here. It's just like high school here. You wouldn't believe it, except that's how it is. It 
every single business that I've been a part of that I've tried to help within yep. consulting. So I think, I can't, I can't remember what book it is, but it's everything you needed to know to succeed in business you learned in high school. Or kindergarten. Or is everything I, everything I need to know in life I learned in kindergarten. I don't know. Maybe like, that's be, it. Be nice to people, wash your hands, treat others. No, it's not that one. It was it was another one. In high school? I think it's Gitmer. I think, I think, I think it's Gitmer's book. I don't know. Um, I, yeah, I... Personally, hate businesses that are like high school. I did theater in high school, so you know, wasn't exactly the greatest time <laughs> That's for funny. me. And the growth spurts came late, so <laughs> I did one act, <laughs> Midsummer's Night Dream. I was puck, <laughs> but, but but yeah, you know, I think that humans act a certain way um, in an organization, and we've got to figure out. Or what I'd love to do is dive into the topics in in, in what I really think turns on. Uh, that creative juice or differentiates you as a leader. And I think it's tapping, knowing your employees, knowing what their intrinsic and extrinsic motivators are through conversations. Literally, you need to have a folder talk every single month with every single one of your employees. Yep. And then you'll know, you'll have the knowledge if you ask open-ended questions in those folder talks to tap into their intrinsic and extrinsic motivators and actually do something to create that momentum of daily interaction, daily execution that adds up to big results over time. Oh yeah. I just had uh, one of these talks about four months ago with a guy who had just gotten as a subcontractor for me that he had just got promoted into a supervisor level and he was trying to figure out how to get, he had about I'd say 35, 40 direct reports. And he's trying to figure out how to get them to jail, how to work. And hmm. I said, man, first and foremost, you got to figure out what makes them tick mm-hmm. on an individual level. Mm-hmm. Are they into art? Are they into music? Do they like, you know, just going efficient and being quiet? You know, do they enjoy? And that's where you can utilize the tools like the personality things. And those are just quick references. But if you as a leader aren't invested in your people, Mm-hmm. And not invested in them as far as training programs and, you know, talking to them. Oh, you know, I said hi at the coffee, you know, at the coffee maker. Right. I'm talking if you're not genuine in your investment, in them, like you actually, you know, don't take time to care about who they are as people, especially with this new generation. You lost mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. You lost them. You got to figure out what makes them tick. You got to figure out why they do what they do, what their motivation for being there in the first place is. You know, there's been so many people that I have written recommendation letters that they were crap employees, but, but because that was not what they even had interest in doing, it was a job to pay the bills. Yeah. And they were upfront about it. Once we learned it. Okay, cool, cool. Uh, you as a leader should have adopt the standpoint of whatever it takes to do to make you better um, in it. And even if that means you leaving here, mm-hmm. I'm oh, yeah. all for whatever yes. it takes to make you better. Yeah. I tell them I'll, I'll help them find that other job if they think yep. it's elsewhere, you know, yep. I'll help them. That's a, that's awesome. That's amazing. And that's, uh, it's, it's funny because like a lot of older businesses, older CEO types are just, they just, they think you can fear you in a state. That's yeah. the, like, I, I've actually seen that more with mid-level management. Yes. I've seen C-suite be wonderful, mm-hmm. but be very ineffective at pushing down decision-making to the right level and giving the key players autonomy to make the right decisions. I typically see the C-suite like gets it, but they don't know how to execute what their vision of the business is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's what I was, I'm, I'm talking from a standpoint of smaller companies. Oh yeah. Yeah. If you're with point. larger corporations, yeah. C-suites typically they're awesome. Like they are, there's a reason those people got there. 
you know, they are in tune with humans. Yeah. Like you don't have, I've never met an executive who wasn't charismatic. That's real. Unless they were a finance, you know, just straight financer. Once again, the weirdos over in HR, uh, <laughs> you know, unless they were one of them, charisma matters so much. Okay. It matters so much because you look at the guys like, you know, biggest job in the world, president of the United States, right? Uh. So you look at all the ones we've had and at their time and frame it in their time of history, right? Frame it at their time in history and what was going on. Teddy Roosevelt, charismatic as all get up, beloved. FDR, charismatic as all get up, beloved. Reagan, charismatic as all get up, beloved. Mm-hmm. Bill Clinton. I can, I'm from the state of Bill Clinton. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you, man, the one thing that people will tell you about that guy, those that knew him on his come up, you know, especially, you know, regardless of what you feel about Hillary or blah, 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 blah. He would make you feel like you're the most important person in the room, even though he knew he was. Okay. Like charisma goes so far. And C-suite people get that because they're in tune with human emotions. They're in tune with people and their motivations. And they kind of see things. They're poker players. They know when right, the people right. are bluffing and they know when they're not. It is those mid-managers. Yeah. It's those mid-managers who, and that's the thing that I see most. Like we have our health checks that we do when we go into companies. Is there a formalized, what sort of leadership training do you have? Not technical training, not on the job training, leadership, being a leader of men and women. What sort of, and who is that available to? And, yeah. And quite yeah. often it's not until they get to the upper echelons. It's not until you're a hypo that you get the the, the good training. Yep. And I get that there's costs associated with this, but get this, I pitched this before, right? Yep. So the real way to know that you understand something is to do what? Do it. Teach it. Teach it or do it. So when you send people to these courses Mm -hmm. that take all week and they cost $10,000, guess what the homework is for that person when they get back? You got to teach it to the rest of you. You got to teach it to your direct reports and you need to have your direct reports teach it to their direct reports, right? Disseminate that information. And anybody out there that's paying $10,000 for a week-long leadership course, I'll do it for $7,500. That's real talk. (laughs) Real talk there, people. (laughs) So I guess... uh, Final thought of the day. We'll toss it over to Kyle. Kyle, oh, nice. sum it up. Give, give yeah, people something I'd, to go home I'd with. I'd love to. Yeah, I'd love to. Okay, so we talked about preparing your business, preparing your business case, reaching out to mentors, reaching out to financial advisors, lawyers, making a list of what your strengths are and your weaknesses are. Do the pros and cons. Those things will help you prepare your business case to launch your business. And then what I would suggest is after you have that business case put together, both on paper and digitally, give it to a mentor or somebody who you know has been successful in your niche, in your industry, let them shoot holes in it, make it better, and then launch it. I think that would uh, would, would help your success rate. And know that it's not going to go according to plan. You are going to have to build those wings on the way down. You're going to learn a lot through the first year and the second year and make sure if you can, that you've got funds to last you for two years. Because uh, again, we were talking about this earlier. I believe there is some magic within that two years, that 24 months. If you execute and you survive after those two years, your business will really start taking off. So uh, again, Kyle Riddell, the business breakout podcast, Airwax Bobby, Nicholas Mayhair. Coming at you live. Have a good night.